Hey guys and welcome to Taylor's Life. Today I'm joined by a care leaver and I always love these episodes because I feel like I'm not alone anymore. So today we're joined by Warren. Warren and I met not so long back at a Foster Wales conference and it was great. We had a cracking time, we hit it off from the get-go and I was like, Warren, you need to be on the podcast. So here we are, he's a motivational speaker and he also grew up in the care system. So without further ado, let's welcome Warren to the Taylor's Life podcast. Hello and welcome. Hey Taylor, thank you for having me on the podcast by the way. I've been so excited to attend one of your podcasts. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I know a fair bit about you, but please indulge, like tell me a little bit about you and like what you do in your spare time and your line of work and whatnot. So I'm an international speaker. I've been speaking now for 13 years and it happened from, you know, going through depression in my life and I kind of found my purpose in that so once I've got my purpose I've kind of been doing that ever since but I did lose my brother four years ago coming up five years and it's been a whirlwind of a journey going through grief but now I'm out the other side of it and I'm grabbing life by the horns and creating you know where getting started where I left off before you know so yeah, things are looking great. Like I'm we're doing events. I've got a new, you know, book coming. So yeah, so good things are happening. Amazing, amazing. And you know, you mentioned about losing your brother. I can't imagine the pain that you feel, but the fact that you've channeled it in your work as well to help others, I find that really, really inspiring. Um, and you're helping a lot of people by sharing your story as well. Often, you know, sometimes trying to find your passion can be really, really hard. But the fact that you found yours in a time of difficulty shows a lot about your personality and character. How did you know that sharing your story and becoming an international speaker was your purpose? That's a great question, Taylor. So um, 13 years ago, I remember I was at rock bottom. I was depressed. I felt suicidal because I just got released from Bristol Rovers Football Club, which was my dream. You know, that was my happy ever after. You know, when you go into care, you always think of like, when I'm older, I'm going to change everything. So that was my happy ever after. So when that didn't come to fruition and I fell into a depression, I felt alone. And being a man at that time, I believed men don't cry and men don't ask for help. So I was suffering alone until I got to my rock bottom and I prayed to God. I said, God, if you help me, I'll spend the rest of my life helping people. That's what I said. And then a few days after that, I get an opportunity, a lifetime opportunity to go to America, to live there for a, a year. And when I was in America, I came across a speaker called Eric Thomas. And he was sharing his story. He was sharing the things that I was ashamed of. At the time, I think, I remember I was quite, you know, conservative back then. So I'd be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, why is he sharing his story? Why is he putting that, his dirty laundry out there for others to judge. But I had tears running down my face. And I remember thinking, me too. And that was the moment in my life when I realised that life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us. Maybe I had to go through what I went through to help other people. And it was that moment the penny dropped when Eric was sharing his story. 
I was like, if he can do it, so can I. And I shared my story, Taylor. And when I shared my story, one person from Australia, who never met me in his life, said I was about to take my life. And I didn't because I read your story. And that moment in my life, I was like, wow, this is it. This is the reason why. Because they say you can't connect the dots going ahead. You can only connect them by looking back. So that was the moment in my life where I was like, this is what I'm born to do. And being in care, I was very introverted. I would say I was an introvert via trauma. And I was afraid to speak out. So speaking out was also helping people with my story, but also my therapy and setting myself free so that I could express myself and no longer worry about what others think of me. And that was, yeah, that was the purpose, the why was to one for myself to help that little Warren that needed healing inside. And secondly, our stories are, you know, the survival guide for others. That's actually, it's made me quite emotional because, you know, when you are in foster care, you, you do hit rock bottom. A lot of people do hit rock bottom. And, you know, often maybe, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I question why I do what I do. Um, and then you mentioned about the guy in Australia didn't take his life because he heard your story. You know, there's probably a lot of people out there who haven't reached out to you, but you've still hit them in a way and they haven't taken their lives or they haven't done something cruel to themselves because they've heard your words. And I think that goes a long way. And how did you first share your story? Was it a video? Was it like a written post? Like, how did you do that? So I was working out in Chicago. And when I was working out in Chicago, I was speaking to this one guy who was going through depression at the time as well. I was like, look, this is why I'm training. I'm helping myself with my mental health, my well-being. I told him the books that I was reading. And he was like, I'm a videographer. Let's video this. So I shared, you know, part of my story in a video, which was my first ever video, which is professionally, you know, edited up and it looked like a, you know, it looked like a movie actually. And so that was my first ever time sharing. And then I did a video after that, kind of going through the details of my story. Like I hated people knowing that I was a foster care leaver, that I was in foster care. I did I, like I was a care leaver. So that was my story, I was telling people, like kind of coming out of the closet, not that, you know, that I'm gay, but like coming out of the closet in a way where I'm, this is who I really am. This is who I am behind the mask. This is, I am a care leaver and I'm freaking proud. I'm, I'm proud of being a care leaver. And it actually adds value to the destination of where I'm going and the achievements that I have because I'm self-made. I get that completely. And I'm intrigued, actually. I want to hear a little bit more. Why do you think you were ashamed of being a care leaver to begin with? I understand that struggle. So tell me where that's come from. I feel like that's probably come from, you know, when you see things like on TV or, you know, even Tracy Beaker and stuff like that, just like the broken kids. And I just didn't want to be in that bracket of feeling broken, even though, you know, I felt broken. I didn't want anybody else to know that I was broken or what I went through. You know, I moved, when I came back to live with my mum, I moved to a different city and no one knew my story. So I told them I went to like Disneyland and I, I told them I come from London and and I just told, I got to tell, tell them a story that they loved me for it. So yeah, I didn't want to be 
an outcast. I didn't want to feel broken. I didn't want to be judged. Yeah, and you mentioned about Tracy Beaker. Oh my gosh, I think, I think they meant it in a way where they didn't want care leavers to, or oh no, well, young people in foster care to be like, foster care isn't all that bad, whatever. Like if you're living in that house, do you know what I mean? But it definitely did create a stereotype and people really do believe that stereotype. It's mad how social media and um, TV and everything can like affect like a group of people. And something that I've always thought of myself, I was like, you know, I'm a victim in this situation. Like, you know, a lot of young people in care, they're not in care because they did something wrong. It's often maybe their parents need support and they can't look after a child right at this present moment in time. So when did you enter the care system and how was that experience for you? So I first went into care when I was eight years old. So yeah, it's very young, eight. And um, I remember it like, you know, like it was yesterday. My sisters, they were young, blonde, blue eyes. So obviously, you know, in the when you go put in foster care, if you're blonde and blue eyes and you're, you know, very young, you're like you get foster homes very, you know, so they got they got home very fast. So they went first. And I remember, I'd never forget my mum's face, like her seeing her cry and scream and my sister's faces and not knowing when I was going to see my sisters again. Like it was heartbreaking. And then we went back to an empty house with no electricity that night with my mum. It makes me emotional even thinking about it. But like I was in a place where like we was, she was just crying and I was crying and my brother was crying. And then the following day, we went to go and see our home. And it was this, you know, this old couple that had us. And we were inside playing with the toys. And I remember my mum thought we were just visiting that day. So she was like, okay, boys, come on, let's go. Then we're going. And the social worker said to her, Maggie, you know, they're not going, they're staying. And then I was like, yeah, just at the window watch my mum walk away crying, getting in the taxi and being in a strange person's house. Yeah, I just felt scared and helpless. That was my experience of going into foster care. I don't normally get emotional on podcasts, but it this conversation is making me quite emotional. I just think, you know, when you're just so young, you shouldn't need... To go through anything so traumatic and i've never cried on a podcast before but um it was the same thing with my mum it was very much like you're just going to visit and we never went back and for a child to understand what that means it's really really hard and i remember going back to see my mum with social workers like you know you'd have like um, visits Mm -hmm. once a month or whatever and I just never understood why and like you know as an adult I can understand why but I just you can't really explain why to a child because they're never gonna get it so when did you like understand why you entered the system 
Um, I would say I'm a bit of an old soul, so I've always understood why I went into foster care, because my mum was on drugs, you know, like my school life, I'd go to school, and I remember going home, making a sandwich one day, and I climbed up on the side as I would normally do, and I found what would be a crack pipe, and I knew what a crack pipe was, and I knew it could kill my mum, so I saw what crack cocaine did to my mother, yeah, how it deteriorated herself, to a place where she was fully neglecting us like there was no food in the house she would leave not one but two days at times and then social workers would find I'd hide my me and my siblings in the front living room and put my hands over their mouths so they wouldn't make noise when the social workers would knock and then one day they went on the back of the house and they caught all four of us so I knew that my mum was in a place where she really couldn't look after us but despite all of that we never wanted to leave our mum so, yeah, I kind of knew why I was going in foster care. I knew that my mum had a drug habit. I just remember it was very, I was like my mum's carer. So I've always felt I've been like that. So I've always kind of like knew that. But I just, I hated social services. I hated them splitting my family up. I didn't think it was right. I didn't, you know, but look at like hindsight, looking back at it, it was definitely the right thing because, you know, our life was crazy, manic. Like, you know, there was, I was eight in the house on my own, looking after my brother and my sisters with no electricity, no heating, just like just mess everywhere. That's how we were living. Did you did you ever go back to your mum like after she maybe recovered or has she ever? Yeah, yeah. So I got a magical story. So um, when I was thirteen, you know, my foster carers they believed I was going to be in care until I was eighteen with them social services they believe the same thing as well i even had a meeting taylor at my school they took us out of school and he said your sisters are going to be adopted so you can have one last meeting with them and they're going to have their new family and i remember just being like what like just like yeah i just didn't understand like how cruel it could be to do that and so I, we accepted that. That was tough. And then my mum got arrested. And the judge said to my mum, you can go to prison or you can go to rehab. And my mum chose rehab because she wanted their kids back. But before that, my mum was homeless. She was prostituting. She was sharing needles. She OD'd not once, but twice. And obviously, I believe in God, so I prayed. It's funny, I, I prayed that I'd move back with my mum. And when I was 13, just after my 13th birthday, my mum went, went to the courts without a solicitor and won the court case for me and my brother. And not only that, on the day of the adoption, the adopted parents, all they had to do was sign the papers. And the mother fell ill and couldn't sign the papers. And my mum won the case for not just me and my brother, but me and my sisters as well. So she got all of us back when she was 13. And only 5% of people that go on to class A drugs get off it. And my mum is in that percentage. And I'm proud of my mum so much. Like, I've always liked, you know, I've always loved my mum. I've never hated my mum. I've always said to my mum, it was her illness because she went through trauma herself. And kind of like what I've known recently, it all makes sense why she went down the path that she did, but um, yeah, yeah.
I'm so happy that you finally got a happy ending because, you know, often things like that don't happen in the the care system. And, you know, I'm proud of you, ma'am, for getting through that because it is an illness. And my mum, the main reason I went into foster care was because she was alcohol dependent and she still is. And like, you know, it's really, really hard to hone yourself off once it's gotten a grasp of you. And how was it when you went back to your mum and you had all of your siblings back? How, how did you feel in that moment? Oh, imagine putting all of your Christmases, putting one. That's how it felt. It felt like to have my mum drug free and no drugs. I despise drugs. You know, that was my school routine. I'd go home and break crack pipes as a you know, seven year old. That was my thing that I would do daily. And, you know, for behind the sofas, I always find them and break them. And because I was so young, I thought if I kept doing this, then my mum wouldn't get on drugs. So to have a household with no drugs and my mum present and doing well was just magical. Yeah, that's what I can say. Like all of your Christmases put in one. That's amazing. I actually, I'm really, really happy that you finally had that. And how, how was it? Like, because my siblings they were meant to go into foster care as well at least my older sister was she never she never ended up going so it was just me and my twin and i just can't imagine how that must have been like as siblings to be all brought together because i would argue that the connection that people have with their siblings is this one of the strongest in the world like you've known each other from when you were a little baby all the way up so and I know you've lost your brother and I know this question might be hard, but how was that relationship? What, coming back together? Yeah, and like, how did you build that? Because obviously all of you had different well, options. So yeah. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. So I would say my sisters were closer because obviously they were together and me and my brother were closer because we were together. So... I love my sisters and my brother, you know, the same. But I feel like, yeah, that four years in foster care was, um, it does play a part in the yeah, age connection. And yeah. when did you start sharing your story? So what age were you at the point where you were like, I'm going to share my story now about growing up in the care system? Because I'm trying to gauge a little bit of what your time yeah. was like 21 I was 21 years old 21 so at which point you'd you'd live back with your mom you were playing football you were playing for was it the Bristol Rovers yeah Bristol Rovers unfortunately that route didn't work well, yeah released and then you went to America you lived there for a year oh yeah well I went through depression felt yeah suicidal then the opportunity of going to America happened and what was it in America that you were doing? So I was coaching soccer, soccer in America. <laughs> soccer, <laughs> that's amazing. And then tell me after, after this year in America, and I can imagine it completely transformed your life, who you were as a person, everything that you felt. Tell me about your journey after. Yeah, so in America, I came across a very, you know, a few mentors that mentored me, gave me a few books to read. Once I'd heard this motivational speaker share a story, I became fascinated with psychology. 
So I start to get to work with my mindset. And I start to reparent myself. And when I start to reparent myself, I've done a lot of inner child healing. And I almost became, I would say, the example I'd use is someone that does coding. When someone that does coding, it looks normal to them when they see loads of numbers running across the screen. So the same thing, thing with psychology and the mindset, that's what I became obsessed with was I'm not a product of my past and I can change everything. I was shy. I had a low self-worth. I needed external validation. And when I studied psychology, I realized, wow, I can change everything. So I wrote down on a piece of paper the person that I wanted to become. I'm going to reach 1 million lives. And that was a goal for me to grow within myself, to be able to be able to impact a million lives. And then I got to work at changing all of the beliefs, deep-rooted beliefs, the identities that were attached to me from my childhood. And I created a new program to say, imagine like, you know, on a computer, I updated the iOS. I, I updated the programming. I want to be confident. I want to be able to communicate effectively. So I, I lived in America for a year. I flew back and I knew that people weren't going to believe me because they saw, you know, I was the party goer before America. So they, they would expect me being in a nightclub rather than on a stage. So all my friends were like, Warren's a preacher. Guys, he's turned into some sort of preacher. They were creating WhatsApp groups about me. They were like, blah, 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 blah. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to have to leave the city where I grew up in because they see the old Warren. So I moved to London on a mega bus. I put a tweet out, who's got a spare room? This lady, she's like, yeah, come over. So I went over to hers, didn't know her. She had a little box room. She'd always make me food every night. And um, I was like, oh, she's so nice. And um, yeah, so I was living there. And then I went to school. I went to loads of schools. I said, look, don't pay me a penny. at the school in Brixton. I said, don't pay me a penny. I haven't got a CV. Give me your hardest to reach children. Give me the children that have been into foster care. Give me the ones that have got behavior issues. Give me these kids. Anyway, so I've done a free talk terrified trembling but like my heart was there and the kids were so fully engaged and I just I poured what I couldn't be able to communicate effectively because you know my vocabulary wasn't great it was small I had a stammer but my heart the love you know they say people only ever remember 10% of what you say but they never forget how you make them feel and I made those kids feel so special and so loved and that it was from my heart that I was being there the teachers were like Warren we've never seen them and be that engaged before like wow how much do you charge and then other schools started to hear about me and then that's how I went down the speaking route of um I've turned my mess into my message and I've gone from school to school and I started doing, I was like, if I can do this with kids, I can do this with adults because these adults have got little kids inside of them. So I started to work with adults. And then people would ask me a question. I was about to go and speak on a stage. And someone said to me, Warren, are you a bit nervous? And I was like, uh, no, not at all. He's like, Warren, it's just me and you. I know you say to people, fearless, but are you a little bit nervous? It's okay. I'm nervous. It's okay. I'm like, no. And he said, Why? And that question of him saying why birthed the Fearless Speaking Academy because I said the focus wasn't on me, it was on the audience. So then I realised that, wow, I've got a recipe here because I used to be terrified to speak in front of three people, let alone a thousand people. So I packaged up the psychology, the recipe, and I created a company called the Fearless Speaking Academy where I would get people that had businesses 
great at what they did, great counselors, therapists, on a one-to-one -one basis, they're amazing. But you put them on a stage and they crumble a little bit and they can't express themselves. So I did, I did, I decided that I would do a an event slash seminar. So they would pay me. I would train them from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. So Philippa would be like, hi, hi I'm Philippa. Yeah, this is what I do. And then at 2 p.m., the doors would open. 200 people would sit in the auditorium. And Philippa would go from, from hello to, hi, everyone, I'm Philippa. I work in finance. Four hours ago, I was in the toilet being sick, right? Anxiety. But you know what? I thought, enough's enough. This is the new me. So I'm going to share with you three... So I looked at the back of the, I was like, well, the, no, no, the orchestra, like that guy conducting like this. I was like that person at the back, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I knew from helping Philippa, boom, I could help anyone in the world. And what happened was from that moment, I coached her. I was like, I can coach anyone. This is a recipe here. And then it went from doing business owners. Then I started bringing it into schools. Then I started doing it into Europe. So I became an international speaker. So I'd take them from the UK, fly them out to Europe. Then we went to Jamaica in the Caribbean and Antigua and Morocco and Vietnam. And we realized, you know, these problems were universal. This fear of public speaking was the most fearful thing to do in the world. People would rather die than, you know, speak at the funeral. So this is how big the fear was. And I had, there I was with the recipe. And what I loved most was that I, I was so grateful that I went through trauma, that I was a care leaver, that I went through the care system because it gave me a life degree. And this life degree helped me to gain this wisdom and these life skills that no other university can teach you. So I really made that a part of me as a coach, as a speaker. And also, most importantly, it gave me empathy because when you feel pain, you don't want others to feel the pain that you did. So my work isn't just words, it's heart connection. So from that moment, you know, I became an author of my book called The Art of Being Yourself. I've reached over, I've coached over 100,000 people to speak around the world. I've done events, you know, I've done over 1,000 events around the world over the last 13 years. So, yeah, so that answers your question is that, like, my life completely transformed. My purpose was revealed to myself. It was like, all this worrying, oh, my God, all this, why me? Violin out, why did I have to go through this stuff? So, oh, my gosh. And I just felt so rich, Taylor. That's amazing. And like you mentioned about a life degree, that literally is so true. Like you can't learn the experiences that you've gone through. You live them. And um, yeah, I'm so incredibly proud that you were able to change the narrative and be that person to help others and help yourself as well. And like, you know, you're healing your inner child and that goes that goes a long way. I feel like a lot of people talk about healing their inner child, but actually being able to do it is something else. And have you got any any more to give, do you feel? Or like, are you gonna, have you got any big projects coming up? Like, tell me more. So five years ago, I lost my brother, who is my closest connection, who is my closest connection ever. Who I grew up with, you know, you said about how close siblings are. You know, when I lost my brother, 
I lost, felt like I lost my past and I lost my future. When you lose a sibling, it's, it's, a sibling's loss is very different, especially a younger sibling. Like I was his protector. He wasn't just like my brother, he was like my son. I took him to his first football game. I took him on his first holiday. So um, yeah, so four years, I was like going through grief. I was homeless two years ago as a result of grief, self-sabotaging, because you have a story in your head where you're like, I don't want to be happy again because the person that was the most closest to me is no longer here. And that was, you know, I was going through that process, but now I'm in a place where I'm like, my brother would never in a million years want me to do that. And it's not a goodbye, it's a see you later. That's my mentality of it now. And so, you know, I've got two beautiful children who are my world, who are just my angels. They love me in a way that I've never experienced. And I'm so happy that I get to play the dad in the role of that. So I can give them so much unconditional love. So yeah, so right now I can give so much more. I feel like, you know, what I've done is about 2% of my potential. And now the power that I have inside of me, the life that I have back inside of me, you know, I want to build, you know, I want to build, I want to build events again around the world and stadiums. I want to build, you know, big foster homes where, where it's a real family, family feel homes where the children get the right therapy and the, and the love and the connections and opportunities. I want to create these all around the world. So yeah, so I'm just getting started. That is actually, that's put a smile on my face. And, you know, I feel like there's always more. There's always more somebody can give, even if they've re they think they've reached it. They haven't. They haven't. And, like, I'm so incredibly proud that you're, you've able to do what you've done. And as a care leaver, I value you. And I... Yeah, I'm really, really pleased to have this conversation with you and it's really opened my eyes up as well. Like, we do have a purpose, like foster care isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And have you got any advice to anybody who's in the care system who's maybe, maybe struggling a little bit right now about the outcome or where they could see themselves? Yeah, so my advice or what I'd say to anyone who's watching this who's in foster care or who's left foster care is that one I don't feel sorry for you and the reason why I'm saying that is because I feel proud to know you or proud that you're here because if you're here and you've gone through what you've gone through because I know what it takes to go through what we've gone through so I'm proud of you and if I can do it so can you and your story is somebody else's survival guide. You are here for a reason to make a big difference in this world. And you know how it feels to feel alone. So, you know, it's hard, you know, doing it alone or, you know, me and Taylor doing it. But we need you to do it as well. Share your story with chest. Share your story with pride. You're powerful and you're loved. But you've got to love yourself and you've got to forgive yourself because it was never, ever your fault. So my advice to you is that I want you to know that the gifts and what you've been looking for has always been inside of you. 
that's what I'd say to them, Taylor. That's that's quite something, and yeah, I I again I'm feeling emotional because like it it it's it's difficult in the system, and like there's no denying that, but at the same time, the people in the care system are the strongest people I know because they've gone through things that a lot of people you know would never even imagine and um i feel like that's a really great place to end so i want to thank you for your time thank you for yeah just sharing your story and being able to be that person and um thank you guys if you've gotten this far and that concludes my foster care month on the Taylor's life podcast so thank you very much warren and thank you to my guests